Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, June the 11th, 2019. It is currently 7.38 p.m. Central Time. Well, I'm standing here and I'm having a debate with myself. I'm having some internal conflict that I'm trying to resolve. You see, there is a situation going on in our society today. It's been going on for quite some time. And this problem really bothers me. It makes me so upset and it, and it makes me concerned about the future. But here, here's the problem. Whenever I feel that I try to tell people about what's going on, I try to point these things out or I'll tell them, look, look, this happened, this happened. I sometimes get this look on people's faces like, yeah, so? Okay, that's bad. All right, what? Okay, let's just change the subject. They don't, like, they seem to acknowledge that what's happening is not good, but they don't seem too bothered by it or they don't seem to grasp the, the possible implications it could have for the future for many people moving forward. And so I'm having this conflict with myself. Okay, if I am bothered by this problem, I want to tell people about this problem and I want to record a, a podcast like I'm doing right now talking about this problem and providing people some information about it. But there's this reality that I feel most people aren't that interested or don't really care that am I wasting my time? Right? Why, why record a podcast, provide uh, inf uh, information to people that I feel most people are going to go, well, yeah, that's kind of messed up. All right. Uh, what's next? What's the next thing I can listen to? What's the next thing I can do? I, I don't want to waste my time. But at the same time, I feel like it, something needs to be said. People need to be told, look, this is important. So how can I convince people that something is important when I feel like that a lot of people aren't getting it? Now, let's be fair here. Let's be very fair. There are plenty of people talking about this problem. Podcast after podcast after podcast after podcast is being recorded and posted all over the internet about this problem. Blog article after blog article. Uh, social media is blowing up about this issue. A news article after news article. So there has been plenty of discussion about this problem. So there are some people who do care. But I still think a lot of people listening to these podcasts and reading these social media uh, posts are go kind of going, well, yeah, okay, I see it as a problem, but I don't know if they're really grasping it. And I hope that we can get to a turning point, like a tipping point where people will go, kind of go from, yeah, it's bad to, whoa, 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 whoa. This has got serious implications. Okay, what should we do? How should we react? How should we respond? And I hope we can get people a little bit more concerned about it. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, what are you talking about? What issue are you talking about? All right, here's my goal. Here's my goal in this episode to remind everyone of the problem. And then I want to play for you a radio program that I heard just about an hour ago when I went to get some food, all right? And, I'm gonna, and I've got the audio of the radio program. I'm going to play the entire thing because I don't want to edit it in any way, shape, or form. And we'll talk about what I'm going to present to you in just a minute. But first, let's, let me try to set this up. Let me try to explain to everyone what is going on. We are all aware, if you live in the United States of America, if you live anywhere in the world, and if you pay any attention, you know that there are some what we will call big tech companies, all right? We've got the Googles of the world. We have YouTube. We have Facebook. 
We have Twitter. We have Instagram, all right? These big tech companies. And these big tech companies, according to them, they want to provide a platform, right? A platform that you can use their platform to get your message out, for you to share your ideas, for you to share your philosophies, for you to share your perspectives. Now, yes, some people use these platforms to simply share pictures you know, of their kids or to take a picture of what they had for lunch. But these platforms are there for those who want to use them to, to present ideas and to share different concepts. Um, and so people hop on YouTube and they make videos. Some people make videos about things like, you know, um, they can make things about video games. They can make uh, videos about comic books. They can make videos about music. They can make they, they, just about anything. And there are others who want to deal with social issues or religious issues, right? They want to deal about uh, with, with things, maybe political issues, social issues, and they want to deal with some issues. And whenever time you deal with some of those issues, it's going to be somewhat controversial because obviously not everyone's going to agree with you, Right? If I hop on YouTube and make a video about Christianity, right, I'm going to say Christianity is that the Christian God is the true God. Christianity is the true religion and salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. And anyone who isn't a Christian, well, they stand under the wrath of God and they are condemned and they will spend an eternity in hell. All right. That's not a very positive message, right? Um, many people will maybe even offended by that if you talk about certain views within Christianity. Christian teaching on sexuality, Christian teaching on gender, Christian, some of those issues are going to be offensive to people, right? Some conservatives, when they talk about issues like immigration or talk about issues, maybe abortion, and they talk about gender issues and homosexual issues, once again, they may say things that could be controversial. Some people want to hop on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever, and they want to use those platforms to talk about all kinds. They may, they may want to talk about conspiratorial issues, right? Did the JFK assassination, who really killed JFK? Did we really land on the moon, right? Like all kinds of crazy ideas and theories. There are people who, who want to use these platforms to present their message. And those platforms welcome those people for a long time. Yes, make your videos. Do your, take, come on, make your videos. We need you here because you make uh, content. People come on our platform to watch your content. This increases our numbers of users. Then, then, of course, we can sell advertisement uh, for your video. We can, we, we in a sense, can monetize you. You can place your video on here, monetize it. We'll place the advertisements there. The advertisers pay us so much money to get their advertisements run. And then we will pay the, uh, the content creator, whoever makes the video, a little bit of that money. So we make money, the people making videos make money, and everybody makes money. And here's this giant platform. And we're here to just say, bring your ideas. Be, be creative. You can be funny. You can be foolish. You can do anything. Give me give you an example. There's a little boy. I don't remember his name. He makes videos on YouTube. Right? He's a little boy. And he does things about like new toys and just his, his dad helps him makes the videos. And he's now a millionaire. He's now a millionaire making little videos that you, if you saw them, they were just silly. But kids love them. They will watch those videos 50,000 times. Well, those views, his videos are monetized. He makes money. So some people look to YouTube and other of these uh, platforms to promote their videos or their podcast 
to share their ideas, but also to make a living. It becomes their career. So again, at, at early on, uh, all these platforms welcomed all the voices because they needed users and they needed content. So, hey, come on, come on, make your content. Well, guess what? Society started changing a little bit. And then people started going, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, that person uh, thinks homosexuality is, is not natural and that homosexuality is, is wrong. That's offensive because, and this would be the person speaking, well, I'm a homosexual, I find that offensive. Wait, I'm transgender and he's speaking negatively about, uh, about transgenders and he's speaking, this person's speaking like there's only two genders and that anybody who thinks differently has a mental disorder. I find that offensive. Wait, this person uh, thinks this. Wait, this person thinks abortion is murder. I find that offensive. And so what many people did when they started hearing speech they deemed offensive they decided we need to silence those voices. So they started complaining to many of these big tech companies who already tended to lean politically, ideologically, philosophically more towards the left, liberal, progressive side. And this started creating an environment where accusations were being made that people's content was what they called shadow banning. You don't receive a notification saying, hey, your content violated some rule, so we're going to remove it. No, just all of a sudden, people can't find your content. When they search for it or they're looking for it, they just can't find your content anymore. Okay, that's not good, right? Because if you didn't violate a principle, if, if these big tech companies start silencing or hiding certain voices, well, then that means the platforms now are not are not very friendly to those who hold to a more conservative or a religious perspective. So there was discussions of shadow banning. There was discussions of people being deplatformed or removed or banned completely. And then those numbers of people being banned started to increase dramatically. And they're like, oh, you violated a policy. That's it. You're banned. And so people were being removed from these platforms for for saying things that, that, that were considered hateful or wrong or evil for some way, shape, or form. Now, let's be fair. There's always been people who use these social media platforms to say things that would probably uh, definitely need to, uh, to be looked at, right? If you promote violence, if you call for harassment, if you call for people to be injured or hurt, yeah, I mean, there, there comes a time where things happen that you have to step in, and I think everyone understands that, right? I think everyone understands that there are issues. Now, I do, I do agree that there are times it can be tricky trying to determine, but what these platforms, if these are just platforms welcoming all voices, the one thing that they should care most about is free speech. And remember, free speech is there to protect speech that people find offensive. You don't need a free speech rule to protect the speech that everyone agrees with. You need free speech rules to protect the speech that people do not like. That, does that make sense? All right, but uh, it, it, all of a sudden, all these people started being removed. Now we could start with the, the, I will think in one case, one of the major people was Alex Jones. Now Alex Jones was ultimately banned for claiming that the Sandy Hook mass shooting was a hoax. And he did say some absolutely horrible things. He made some stupid statements and some things he said were absolutely wrong. Got no problem with that. He did. Now, but here's the issue. Should you call for him to remove those videos, 
right? Should there be a call going, hey, he, he claims this shooting was a hoax. Should he be banned for that? Now, you got to be very careful because after September the 11th, 2001, do you know how many videos and documentaries were made claiming that 9-11 was an inside job and claiming all kinds of conspiratorial theories that some of the buildings that went down did not go down because of a plane crash, but they were imploded. Someone brought them down that the government brought them down, that the government had a stand down. Like we could get into all, I mean, there were documentaries and videos everywhere. For some reason, calling 9-11 a hoax, like some people did, that was okay, but calling Sandy Hook a hoax wasn't okay. Well, wait, now wait, how do we draw the line? Calling the moon landing a hoax, calling that the uh, JFK assassination, well, the JFK assassination you know, well, in actuality, you know, it wasn't the person who was arrested for that. It was the, the government or the mafia or the, you know, whoever had him assassinated. Is that wrong to make those kinds of thoughts? There are people who question all kinds of historical things from the Holocaust to everything else. How do you determine, therefore, as a platform, please note a platform, that you're now going to start monitoring what people say and determining if or should not be allowed. Now, I understand they can develop policies, but they have to be consistent with their policies. And it just started seeming weird, right? Like, okay, I can get on YouTube and see videos of ISIS beheading someone. All right. Okay. I can watch a video of ISIS beheading someone, but I can't listen to Alex Jones make an argument that the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax. But watching someone being beheaded, real life beheading, versus someone promoting a theory, an idea that I should be able to go, hmm, what's his evidence? Oh, I don't know. Now, I agree. There were some crazy people who then took that information and started harassing the families who lost children in the Sandy Hook shooting. Well, that's horrible and that's evil. But unless Alex Jones told you, go find the family members and do it, then you can't blame him what people did with the information. I mean, that that's, I mean, how are you going to monitor that? So this started becoming a major problem. And when Alex Jones got banned, ultimately he got removed from everything. He got removed from Facebook. He got removed from Instagram. He got removed from Twitter. He got removed from YouTube. I mean, they purged the internet of him. Even some credit card companies went after him so that you, you know, if you went to his store to try to buy things, they were not going to process the payment. I mean, they were literally trying to remove Alex Jones from the internet, even though he was on radio stations and he still is all across the United States of America. So he can be on radio, but he can't be on YouTube. So his content doesn't violate radio standards, but they violate YouTube standards? Does, wait, 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 how, how, who's regulating what? Who's making these determinations? All right. So I began to get become bothered by this. And I said, well, wait a minute, everyone. Do you see the problem? Do you see where we're going? If they can ban Alex Jones, even if you don't like what he said, and even if you think he said some horrible things, and I think that he said some horrible things at different times, no question about it. And, there, and back when he was making all these claims about Sandy Hook, I was recording podcasts going, this man's a lunatic. Stop promoting these false conspiratorial theories. Okay, I, I was against it. But you know what? I wasn't wanting him removed. Because I wanted him to have the right to speak and I wanted to have the right to respond to his claims. That's kind of the way the free market of ideas should work, right? A free exchange of ideas. 
So I, it's not like I'm supporting what he said, but the point was, I, I realized, wait a minute, if he goes, where does this stop? Where does this stop? Who else is going to get banned? And then this person would get banned. And then this person would get banned. Or this person's content, you couldn't find it anymore. And there was just all kinds of things happening. And I was like, something's going, people should be bothered by this, but people weren't. And then we have pastors, Many pastors, their content was deleted because they spoke against homosexuality. So I'm looking at this going, wait a minute. If all these big tech companies, they systematically could, in theory, silence any strong conservative or Christian voice. They could remove it in theory. I'm not saying that's where it's going to end up. But you have to be concerned about it because they're just removing people. Steven Crowder, if you don't know who he is, he just got demonetized. So he cannot make money from his videos. Now, they, YouTube said he didn't violate any of their community policies. However, even though he didn't violate any policies, they still removed his ability to make money from YouTube videos. Wait, he didn't violate a policy, then what are you punishing him for? They're simply punishing him, not because he violated a standard that they have written, simply because they do not like his speech. Now, on one hand, these, these te big tech companies, listen, these big tech companies are private companies. So I try my best to respect the rights of a private company to do what they want to do. However, here comes the tricky thing. This is, becomes a big legal conversation. Do, do these big tech companies simply want to be seen as a platform? In other words, they create the structure. Now you come and post your content. You're the content creator. They're simply the platform that you post your content creator. If they simply want to be a platform, they got to be very careful because the minute they start silencing certain voices, pushing other voices forward, uh, uh, banning, silencing, doing all these different things, they slide from a platform to a publisher. And once they become a publisher, now there are certain legal issues that they have to follow by being a publisher. Now, they could just come out and say, hey, we're a platform, but we're only a platform for liberal progressive views. We are a platform for anyone who doesn't hold to the following views. Right? It's like a Sermon Audio. Sermon Audio is a Christian website. But for you to be able to post your content on Sermon Audio, you have to agree to their statement of faith. So there's a standard there. So you want to protect those companies. Like You either want the company just to come out and say what they are. We are a platform but we are only going to allow content who meets this, this criteria. If people are being demonetized or silenced who don't even violate the rules which they are currently written, then what are they? Are they a platform for, for what? Are they just, hey, try us and maybe you'll get your, uh, your, your, your stuff will be seen and maybe it will not. This raises so many legal issues. It raises so many philosophical issues. It raises issues about, you know, you know, how your political views about how you view the free market and how do you view a capitalistic society. I want to protect the rights of a company. I do want to protect the rights of a company. But here's what we have to consider. If all these big tech companies continue down the path they're going, they're going to only be big tech companies. They're only going to allow one point of view to get across. 
and they're going to silence everyone else. Now, in theory, someone else should be able to come along, create a competing platform, and be able to compete in a capitalistic type way. Maybe that's what should happen. Others believe lawsuits should be filed because uh, many of these big tech companies are not acting like platforms. They're acting like publishers and they should be bound by some of these rules. Some of these, some of the people don't realize this. Some of these big tech companies have been protected by certain, by certain laws so that these uh, platforms could not be sued for content because they claimed they were not a they were not a publisher they were simply a platform. So in many cases these companies have benefited from being protected by laws because they are identified as a platform. But if they start acting like a publisher then they those those protections against them have to go away and they have to be treated as a publisher and follow the laws that would that would guide that would um, govern them as a publisher. This is a, I cannot stress this, this is a big issue. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to play for you a radio program that I heard just a few minutes. There's a lot more I could say here. There's a lot more I could say here. But the name of this program is called The Hamilton Corner. The Hamilton, the Hamilton Corner. Comes on American Family Radio. This is about 50-something minutes long. Now, the first part, he's going to do kind of a devotional on Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 40. I think it's worth your time to hear his perspective. And then he's going to talk about the big tech. Now, listen to the, the uh, title. Big tech needs to be treated as publishers, not as platforms. Okay. Okay. Now, that's going to exactly what I'm talking about. So... I'm going to play everything he has to say, everything, the beginning of the program, the end of the program, any commercials, any advertisements, anything he wants to promote, it's all going to be there because if I'm going to use some of their content, then I definitely want uh, them to get all the credit and to get all the, you know, um, be able to promote anything they want. However, I have to say this, there is one thing he does during the radio broadcast and now, remember, this aired on Christian Radio, American Family Radio. He does a devotional on Acts, uh, so clearly he claims to be a Christian. He does something that I believe is not Christian. He does something that I believe is ungodly. And I, I does something that I 1,000% condemn. Whenever you're speaking about homosexuals, homosexual issues, and you are a Christian, I'm not talking about conservatives, okay? Just conservatives, politically conservative does not equal Christian. But from a Christian perspective, we have certain, we have a Bible that tells us how to act, right? And we're to love our enemy, turn the other cheek. So many times, it's usually Christian men. I don't know why. I think sometimes Christian men, sometimes they're, they feel their masculinity are threatened by a gay men. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on. But Christian men sometimes lash out when they speak of gays. And they start doing little things like this. They're talking about a gay person and they'll change their voice, right? They'll start talking in a feminine way, right? Trying to talk like a, what, what they perceive a gay man is. They may start speaking with kind of a lisp, like in a, in, in a mocking way. Um, it, 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 to me, it's horrific. It's horrible. It's ungodly. Speak against homosexuality because homosexuality is, an, is a behavior that the Bible condemns. You don't have to mock people who are gay. 
It's it's like if it, you you it's just wrong. You're mocking and you're using stereotypes and it's slanderous. It's it's oh, it just sounds bigoted. It's closed-minded. It's ungodly. And he does it just a little bit. He doesn't go over the top, but there's enough of it that I was like, oh. And then he talks about some things Stephen Crowder does. Stephen Crowder, conservative comic, who kind of does the same thing. And he'll, when he talks like a gay man, he kind of mocks it a little bit. And this, uh, on the Hamilton Corner, he's going to talk about that he finds it funny. It Look, it's not funny from a Christian perspective. I can speak against homosexuality, but I'm supposed to be loving them, seeking their repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not to act like some little 16-year-old boy mocking someone for being gay. That's ungodly and it's not Christian, and it ticks me off when Christians engage in such wrong behavior. Now, there's a part of me that wanted to edit that out, edit that out of what aired on Hamilton Corner. But I don't because I want you to hear because it serves as an example of what I'm saying. Um, you've heard me, again, I, I was in high school. Man, high school boys mocking someone for being gay. Oh man, the things they would say. And then you become, and I've heard pastors do it from the pulpit. Make some little, you know, comment about gay men. And it's like, and then and the people in the pew laugh. And I'm like, this is not Christianity. This is ungodly behavior that high school bullies do. All right, I, I, I know that my introduction is going long now by saying that, but it, that, that stuff ticks me off and, and it needs to be purged from Christianity, all right? Not because, and again, I don't want big tech companies to go, oh, you made that little remark, ban you. I don't want to do that, right? Uh, because I don't think that that's not the solution. The solution is he can make that comment I can then come back af after it and, and say something about it. I just think that, that when we act, especially from a Christian perspective, we, already, we, have, we have battles to fight against sin, against our own sin, against the world, the flesh, the devil, against ungodly philosophies. We've got to take a stand against them. And we don't want to, but we don't want to engage in fleshly, sinful behavior while fighting against the darkness. And we're all prone to it. We're all prone to it. I'm prone to it. I may not use those kinds of, 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 of behavior, but I can get angry. I can get mad. And I can say things in an ungodly way. I'm, we're all guilty. When we use our mouths, we're, there's always the chance of ungodliness coming in because of the corruption inside of us. I am aware of that. But I think we can all take a minute and go, hey, when we deal with homosexuality, let's deal with the sin of homosexuality. And let's realize that the people who are engaged in the activity are sinners who need repent. They need repentance. They need God's mercy. They need God's grace. They need forgiveness. When we when we when we start saying that kinds of things, what we do is we almost treat the people like they're our enemy instead of someone that we want to win to Christ. All right? We should pray for them. And as everybody, it's like, it's, it's just, it's just a very, it's just using stereotypes and it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And you're going to hear him do that again. I, I, um, I don't want to make it sound like he goes crazy with it, but I think you're going to hear enough of what I'm talking about. I can, trust me, I could find you all kinds of examples on the internet from pastors doing it from the pulpit. All right. Um, which is just horrible. Let's, let's not do that. Let's handle ourselves in a godly way. And that's for, that's for me as well. That's for me as well. I've, I've recorded way too many times and too many times after a recording going, well, 
I don't think that was very godly. So I, I am guilty. Just I'm not pointing. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm pointing a, a, at one person. I'm pointing the finger at all of us. Every one of us, in our speech, we're all guilty of violating that. All right. So I want to play this entire program, the Hamilton Corner. Now the reason I want to play this is because I think he does a good job. He plays some clips from different uh, uh, some of the big tech people. He plays some uh, some news clips. He, he I think he does a real good job of of outlining this problem, and I think you really need to consider it. I, how can I say this? Look, this problem has ramifications for the future. For all conservatives, politically, all conservatives religiously. Anyone who holds to ideas that are against the more liberal, progressive, left-leaning culture, we're, we're being targeted and we're going to be silenced. Now, you may just decide to you know, put your head in the sand and just, well, you know, who cares? I'm just going to do my thing. You know, hopefully someone will have to fight this battle. Someone's got to fight this battle. And, we're, and we've got to start thinking about it. And as Christians, we need to become smart. Right? Because we got to figure out how, listen, on one hand, we want to take a stand for righteousness, but we at the same time need to be smart. We need, listen, we need to be as wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. When, when I knew gay marriage was going to be legalized in the country, I kept telling churches there's certain things you should do, certain things you should do. Many of those churches did not do those things. We'll see at some future point if that becomes a problem. I think it, for many churches it's going to become a problem because they basically run a wedding business, um, you know, a, um, a marriage business where pastors get paid, churches get paid for renting out their facility. And at some point they're going to find themselves in all kinds of legal issues because people are going to go, wait, you rent out your building to all kinds of people. Now all of a sudden you're not going to rent it out to me because my sin is different than the sin of the people you just married? Like, you know, like... That's that's going to become uh, an issue, I, and, and we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it will not, but I think it ultimately. I think all. Listen, our culture is moving against Christianity. Christians probably should wake up and start preparing ourselves. And if our voices start becoming silenced, then we're not going to be able to get the message out. While we still have the ability to get our message out, we should use it at every chance that we have. There's a lot I would like to say, but I've already talked for 30 minutes, and now I have a 50-minute program for you. So yes, it's, this is a, lo a long program. I understand that. But you know what? Rush Limbaugh's on the air for three hours a day. Sean Hannity, three hours a day. Glenn Beck, three hours a day. I think Mark Levine, three hours a day. There's like there's there's talk programs all day on talk radio that are three hours long. So you can you can handle it, okay? If you have to break this up, break it up. Come back to it. All right. I used to record long all the time, and then our culture today, people are like, if it's long, oh see, I'm getting ready. See, guess what I'm getting ready to do? Not make fun of uh gay people, but I'm getting ready to use a mocking voice. A mocking voice. See? So is that right? Is that right? If I make a mocking voice? Now, I'm not really making mock a mocking voice of a specific group. Well, you know what I tend to do? Oh, see, now, oh, see, now we, can, we can have confession time. I'm very guilty of this. And Glenn Beck pointed this out one time on his radio program. Whenever you kind of want to make a, a, a voice of, say, someone who sounds dumb, someone who sounds ignorant, someone who sounds foolish, what a lot of times you'll do is you'll go into a, a, a thick Southern accent, like, 
Yep, my name's Bob, and I believe in America. I believe in America, and I believe in tractors, and I believe in Jesus, and I believe in guns, and I believe in Jack Daniels. And and he's and he and so one time Glenn Beck was kind of doing this Southern accent, and he stopped me. He's like, "Why do I use a Southern accent when I try to make a try to speak like someone who's being foolish?" And, he, and so then he started trying different accents. He tried an English one. He's like, that doesn't really work. Tried an Australian one. He tried an Irish one. And, and so is that really like, are you mocking everyone who's, who is a Southerner? Well, you're not really trying to do that. You're just trying to use a, a mocking voice to describe someone who's foolish, not a group of people. So I guess in some ways it's distinguishable, but you're still getting on iffy ground. So right there, I was getting ready to, you know, talk about people who say, I can't, I can't listen to anything more than 15 minutes. Say I'm getting ready to try to make some kind of voice, but say I'm not trying to target a group, right? I'm not trying to target a group. I'm just trying to make a mocking voice to describe when people complain that if it's longer than 15 minutes, I can't listen anymore. It's, it's always hard to know when you, when you cross that line. And that's the thing with humor. Well, humor is always that way. From a Christian perspective, what we want to do is make sure that uh, when we do use humor or something or mo mocking or sarcasm, we don't cross the line. I just think when it comes to homosexuals, I think that the difference is big. You're talking a group of people who have been made fun of. Look, when I was a teenager here in Abilene, Texas, I knew teenagers who would drive by the gay club on a Friday or Saturday night looking for homosexuals to beat up. All right, to just punish them and beat them up because they're gay. I mean, like, okay, there's been gay, I've, I've known gay kids who've been mocked and made fun of for being gay. So I just think when Christians use the mocking voice of gay people, you're, you're, you're trying to use a stereotype against an entire group of people versus just making a funny voice to get a point across that a point is dumb, not a specific group of people is dumb. I think there is a, I think there's a, a, a distinguishing mark there. And I hope that makes sense. When I'm using a mocking voice of gay people, I'm making uh, fun of homosexuals. If I make a, 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 using a Southern voice, I'm trying to get the idea that this idea that I'm mocking is dumb. Not that all Southerners are dumb because, well, I myself was born in Texas. So I was born in the South, right? So I, I think you get the idea. Hopefully you do. I, that, that turned into an interesting conversation, did it not? But it's, it's just funny because all of a sudden I got ready to use a voice. You know, I was going to say something like, I can't listen to anything longer than 15 minutes. So if you talk for longer than 15 minutes, I just can't listen. Okay, so I was going to mock this idea of people acting like that, you know, listening to anything long is too much for them. Um, so not a group of people. Does that make sense? All right. <laughs> what, what, what an interesting conversation that turned into. But it's always funny when you're talking, you realize, wait a minute, I'm getting ready to contradict myself. I think I am. And then you have to explain it. All right. Here is the audio from the Hamilton Corner. It aired today. It aired today. It's going to be, I think it's going to be well worth your time. I think he does an excellent job of outlining the problem. I think he talks about a possible solution by forcing it maybe through legal means that these companies are not treated as platforms, they're treated as publishers, and that will force their hand. He agrees with me that we're not fans of the government intervening, stepping up, telling a private company what they should do, but he believes this problem has reached a level and that these companies have been protected by certain laws because 
They claim to only be a platform and not a publisher, but now they're acting like publishers. So you're going to have to remove that legal protection from them and they should be governed by laws because they're acting like pl uh, pu publishers. And I think he makes a great point. I think he does an excellent job. I just don't like his little mocking voice or him finding it funny that some people do that to, to homosexuals because, um, you know, it would not be right when people want to mock uh, African-Americans by giving some kind of stereotypical, like, supposed voice that certain African-Americans use. I think that you got to be very careful with that as well. All right, here you go, the Hamilton Corner. I hope you find something in this long introduction to have been useful. Um, I think you can just hear that I have been struggling with these concepts. I'm still trying to figure it out all out. I don't have it all figured out. I don't necessarily agree with everything that you're going to hear in the Hamilton Corner, but I think he does a good job of presenting it, and I wanted, I heard it, and I want you to hear it. So here it is, the Hamilton Corner, Corner that aired today on American Family Radio. Listen carefully. Give it some thought. Thanks. God bless. Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. And Urban Family Talk. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media. And the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment. Let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Corner. Good evening. Welcome to the Hamilton Corner here in American Family Radio. In Urban Family Talk, I'm your host, Abraham Hamilton III, and I'm joined by the J-Squared Contingent. Mr. Jeff Reed is on my left. Mr. Jason Tross is on my right. Marty is slacking somewhere. No, he's not slacking. Marty's taking care of some personal business. Nevertheless, we are excited to be with you another day. The Lord has graced us with another day. And so we not only will, re will rejoice and be glad in it, but we seek to be effective in shining the light of the Lord's glory in this time. Well, I see somebody asking in, in Facebook land, uh, where's Hannah? Hannah had her little girl. So Hannah is out post baby delivery. Uh, so but we have Marty who has taken over that role for us prospectively. Well, so much is going on in the world. So much is going on in the country. I pray that today's program would be uh, a blessing to you all. We pray for you guys even before we come on the air. Um, and let me do my reminder, as most of you are making your way from your part-time jobs to your full-time jobs. Um, I know sometimes you might think, hey, why do you say that every single day? I say it every day as a reminder. A uh, reminder to you, also a reminder to myself, you know, to um, offer the uh, life-giving virtue that God has given us to make sure we're serving our families with it. We do not want to allow ourselves to be lulled into this place where our focus, our investment, our intentionality, all of our effort is directed outside of our home to the neglect of what goes on inside of our home. God has equipped us. His grace is sufficient for us to be fruitful um, outside of our homes as well as being fruitful inside of our homes. I found uh, that the majority of the time, all that's necessary is for a mind change. I remember talking to uh, some, some uh, beautiful believers who love the Lord uh, who say, man, Abe, if I'd have known that, I would have done things differently. You know, and, and I just said, Lord, 
as long as you give me breath, I will do my best to serve you and to just offer that gentle reminder uh, that uh, the Lord has blessed us to serve our families, that we don't just see that just as a casual uh, phenomenon of life. Yeah, you have a family, you marry a family, whatever. But we recognize that God has ordained the family as a primary institution, really, uh, to as a conduit and a recip- recipient of his glory. So that is why I offer that reminder on such a regular basis. And I pray that that reminder is received and responded to. Amen. Well, we're going to start the show today in Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 25 through 40 is where I'm, where I'm going to go. And, uh, man, I'm going to resist the urge to exposit every passage here just to communicate the main thing I want to communicate uh, during this portion of the program. Uh, but I, I think that it is critically necessary that uh, those who teach the Lord's word in our country, that we begin more so to prepare the Lord's bride to thrive within adverse context and within difficulty. Something that the the church in the United States of America has never had to endure as of yet uh, was functioning in the midst of robust overt prosecution, prosecution, persecution. Um, but I think you can see, uh, as the scripture talks about, the birth pangs of that type of persecution happening here in the, in the United States of America. And it's incumbent upon uh, the shepherds in the Lord's flock to prepare the bride for that. So to that end, we're going to discuss Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 25 through 40 for context purposes. Uh, this entire scenario plays out in the. Roman city of Philippi, which is the capital of the Macedonian province, uh, upon arriving in Philippi, the Bible records one of the first converts, or the first convert uh, in Philippi was Lydia, the seller of purple, who hailed originally from the city of Thyatira. Uh, And I love the way that the Bible describes it. It says that the Lord opened her heart to give attention to Paul's preaching. Man, that's a, a beautiful picture what the Spirit of God does to make the heart receptive to the gospel. Uh, man, I love that. But then going on from there, you see immediately following that, the scripture in Acts 16 records uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas uh, encountering a slave girl who was possessed by a demon who made money for her handlers by telling fortunes. Being from New Orleans, I'm all too familiar with fortune tellers. In the Jackson Square area, in the French Quarter, y'all, if you know anything about the NOLA, you know what I'm talking about. And then she started following Paul and Silas and specifically started to declare that these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, if you notice, she wasn't lying. But the Apostle Paul, not wanting to allow her to be mistaken for being someone who was accompanying them in the gospel work, said, oh, no, this demon got to go. Cast the demon out of the girl. Then the money changers <laughs> realized, ruh, ruh, we can't make any more money. So then they bring, they report Paul and Silas to the magistrates to have them arrested. And I find it's interesting. I'm not going to go into this now, but just to put a mental note on this, that the official charges lodged against Paul and Silas was that they quote in verse 21 in Acts 16, they quote, advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The official charge in the indictment, if you will, was a cultural one. 
Just put that in your hat. Put it in your, in your back pocket. The official charge, the criminal charge brought against Paul and Silas was they're upsetting our culture. Yeah. If you don't know yet, Christ supersedes culture. Let me just say that. Now move on because I got to get to what I need to get to. Following that, the Bible says that they beat Paul and Silas. Then put him in jail. We're going to pick up there in verse 25. <clears throat> At about midnight, Paul and Silas, oh, Lord. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Folks, they're doing this in jail. The prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Now, they were in prison in Philippi, remember, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? No altar call. They called the altar. <laughs> what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. And they said, believe, Paul and Silas, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But, it would, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let, the, let those men go. And the jailer reported, those words to, reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have said, sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Nah. I can hear my daughter. Nah, player. Nah. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now here's what I want to get to. <sighs> what this kind of man be pan be easy believism that's become popular in America the very notion of thriving in kingdom vision and kingdom work, even in the midst of unjust persecution, is foreign to many people in America. Here, Paul and Silas were incarcerated unjustly. They were persecuted unjustly. They had done nothing wrong, nothing illegal. All they had done was proclaim the gospel, call out a demon of, of, a, of a slave girl, which was for her benefit, but nevertheless, they found themselves in jail. If you happen to be a Joel Osteenian, this type of text wrecks your theology. This is not everyday Friday theology. But nevertheless, in this unjust persecution, this unjust, incar unjust incarceration, Paul and Silas are singing. Oh, God. They're singing. Brothers and sisters, I am telling you, that we have to develop and invite the Lord 
to grow our roots deep. Back on the block, we used to say it's time to get your weight up. Because if you are a fair weather believer, you will not know how to stand in the day of difficulty. In the face of great persecution, these people were beaten, folks. The Bible says with rods. They were so bloodied that even after they were singing, the Bible tells us that the Philippian jailer and his family had to wash their wounds. So they were, were beaten and bloodied and allowed to fester in their injuries. Yet in their wounding, they are singing and praying and not privately. The Bible tells us that all the other Philippian uh, inmates in the jail, they could hear them. And then at the climax of their prayer and their worship, an earthquake hits the jail. But it was not an earthquake to liberate them, naturally speaking. It was an earthquake to demonstrate whose they were. Because though the jail doors opened, Paul and Silas knew it wasn't time to go yet. Now, how can they maintain that clarity of a mission, clarity of focus, even in spite of what seems to be a God-sent amelioration of their natural circumstances? Can I tell you like Jesus said, he is the vine, we are the branches. In order for the leaf to maintain a, a nourishment, it has to remain plugged into the vine. In the midst of all of this, Apostle Paul and Silas are continuously thriving in their God-ordained assignment. We have to get our weight up, brothers and sisters. We have to invite the Lord to transform our vision of Christianity, our understanding of ministry, our understanding of faithful service unto the Lord. Because difficult natural circumstances does not give us a license to abandon the Lord. Doesn't give us an excuse to all of a sudden have a bad day in Christ following. It comes, it brings weight where the rubber meets the road, whether or not we can truly say our life is no longer ours, but we have been bought with a price. And as I, as I was preparing for the program today, the Lord reminded me <laughs> that this all transpired within the Philippian jail. And Apostle Paul later on in his life, when he's incarcerated once again, this time in Rome, he wrote a letter to the Philippians. And he said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Mm. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything. What you mean, Abraham? You mean when you don't have any lights on in your house? In everything. Wait, wait, wait. What you mean, Abraham? You mean when you don't have any meat to put on your bread, when you have to have uh, syrup sandwiches or, or, or peanut butter sandwiches or, or, or banana sandwiches? That's exactly what I'm talking about. What do you mean, Abraham? In everything. Maybe when your 401k is thriving, when you have a million dollars of net worth saved in your bank, in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God in the middle of no matter what the circumstances are. Remember, Paul is writing this from a Roman prison, facing his imminent, uh, his imminent beheading at the hands of the Romans, his imminent martyrdom at the hands of the Romans. But he is exhorting the Philippians that in everything by prayer and supplication. So this lets you know. And one of the things I love about Apostle Paul, he never preached what he wasn't living. His preaching always followed what he lived. That's why he told uh, young Timothy, Timothy, you know my manner of living and what I preached. Timothy is sharing with the Philippians the very thing that enabled him to sing when he was in the Philippian jail all those years before. Because in every circumstance, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And guess what happens? The Lord dispatches a garrison of peace to surround your heart 
and your mind, no matter what the circumstances may be. Whether it be incarceration, whether it be unjust persecution, whether it be unjust termination from employment, no matter what the circumstances are, we must remain plugged into the vine. And by living this, we develop the heft to be able to thrive even in the face of persecution. A matter of life or death. Hi, I'm Matt Staver with Freedom's Call. Some people struggle with unwanted same-sex attraction. That's how it was for Ken. He fought those desires for years and became depressed and eventually suicidal. Reaching rock bottom, Ken confessed to his parents he was attracted to men even though he didn't want to be. So Ken began meeting with a counselor. The therapist helped him to get to the root cause and overcome his unwanted desires. Ken admitted that if it wasn't for the counseling, he would have killed himself. Ken is now a pastor living a vibrant life. But his happy ending isn't possible for everyone. The life-saving counseling that Ken received is already banned in several states. And if the badly named Equality Act becomes law, it will be forbidden nationwide. That must not happen. Lives are at risk. Stay informed by visiting Liberty Council's website, lc.org. Anna Quinlan is a well-known writer who won a Pulitzer Prize in 1992. She once remarked that she would be happy to have raised children whose idea of interior decorating consisted mostly of building enough bookshelves. Reading gets stiff competition these days from the internet and other media, but books are still being published. Are you a regular reader expanding your life with newly acquired horizons? I hope so. And I hope you're reading daily the world's best-selling book, The Bible God Gave Us to Expand Our Knowledge of Him, to challenge us to live the life we were created to enjoy for His glory. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's book on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. It's beginning to look like the only bakers in the country who cannot get justice are the Christian ones. A bakery in Oberlin, Ohio, won an $11 million settlement against Oberlin College for attacking, libeling, and defaming the bakery when it detained three black students for shoplifting and using fake IDs. Meanwhile, Colorado baker Jack Phillips was forced to open up a re-education camp in his store for employees. Since the Supreme Court ruled in Phillips' favor only because Colorado showed animus against him, courts can now punish Christian wedding vendors simply by calling anti-Christian hate something else. Florist Baronel Stutzman is being sued for everything she owns since those who were trying to destroy her aren't motivated, according to the court, by animus. That will be news to Baronel. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's factual, man. We need to begin to prepare ourselves. There needs to be teaching. And you know, one of the things I was talking to a brother today about it, that a lot of the stuff that, that we're having uh, debates about within the church today, that when the bullets of persecution start flying, people are not going to ask questions like that. When we need one another, you know, 
we need to start having these conversations as to how to thrive and to develop the type of robust uh, girth in the faith um, to where we're able to, to rightly say these light afflictions that we endure in this present time cannot even begin to be compared to the surpassing glory that awaits us, you know. Um, anyway, back, thank you for tuning in. We're welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. Um, when I have a conversation with something I've just been monitoring uh, for quite some time, and I felt like today was the time to have this conversation. So um, if you haven't noticed it yet, and a lot of you have because you, you mentioned how Facebook and today seems like YouTube is acting up. Uh, they seem for some reason to not like to allow the show content to air and, and de-boosting of, of views and some folks who, who even have subscribed to the Hamilton Corners when the notification goes out to watch the live streams, people say, I never get to see the notifications anymore. What's happening? Well, <laughs> the bottom line is that Silicon Valley is filled with people who, who do not adhere to a biblical worldview. That's a nice way of saying it, right? Very kind, very gentle. Um, to that end, there's been a huge blow up in, on the free speech front here recently in the last week or so. And it, it began with uh, Steven Crowder, who is a comedian, uh, but also he's, a, I guess you would call him a conservative comedian. Long, a long time ago, he was on Fo the Fox News channel. Then from there, he did some other things, and then he developed um, a bit of a following to his independent program on YouTube. From there, um, CRTV, uh, from Conservative Review, added his show that he was doing on YouTube to their CRTV lineup. And then here recently, CRTV uh, became, was purchased by The Blade. And so now the Blaze Network uh, hosts Steven Crowder's show, but he still maintained his content on YouTube. YouTube, in case you're not aware, um, it allowed you to air videos where uh, once you become hit a certain level of popularity, um, those videos would be monetized, which YouTube would, and that's actually one of the ways that YouTube makes money, that the more people that visit their websites, they're more popular uh, content creators is what they refer to. Uh, would there would be advertising placed on the videos. Most of you who watch YouTube videos, you ever wonder why? I'm trying to watch my video, then right as I get it started, they play five seconds of an advertisement. What is that? Why is that happening? Because those particular videos have been monetized. And when the, that monetization occurs, the, the people that are advertising, they pay some money to YouTube, and YouTube pays some money to the content creators. That is one of the way, major ways that YouTube makes its money. Well, YouTube is owned by the Google. Google owns YouTube, all right? Now, <clears throat> what ended up happening was there was a writer at Vox, which if you're not, if you don't know this, Vox is owned by NBC Universal. Same Universal that makes that nasty music, yeah. NBC Universal owns Vox, and they have a writer there, and this is not a slander or anything like this, uh, a guy by the name of Carlos Maza, who, and I'm just saying this, this, this is relevant to the conversation. It's the only reason I'm mentioning, mentioning this. But he is a Hispanic man who identifies himself as a queer Hispanic man. His Twitter handle is at the gay wonk. He calls himself gay wonk. That's what he calls himself. Well, over the years, uh, Steven Crowder has mocked the gay wonk. 
as well as a host of other people, as comedians often do. And, and I, I do not, I don't know, but I don't think Stephen Crowder is a Christian, so I'm not saying that. He's conservative in his political views, but uh, it's not, as far as I know, from any type of Christian uh, faith, okay? Uh, but he does these videos. He does these Change My Mind videos, which, is, which, are, which are pretty interesting. Um, and over the years, he has, uh, as I said, mocked the, the gay wonk. Well, the gay wonk, and y'all, one other thing Stephen Crowder mentions is that he has a lisp. So he calls him the lispy gay wonk. It's pretty funny. Um, telling you. The gay wonk didn't like it. So he put together this entire uh, montage of over two years of content from Stephen Crowder's shows. But the, the montage lasts two minutes. So in two years of him doing a show five days a week for two years, he found two minutes worth of videos where he found it that it, it was hate speech. Hate, hate speech. And so he put the montage together and then he tweeted it out and he he added YouTube with the tweet. He sent it directly to YouTube. Hey, YouTube, look at this video. Uh, Steven Crowder is a hateful bigot. He doesn't need to be on your platform. I'm paraphrasing basically the, the temper tantrum that occurred. So YouTube initially, and I'm, 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 I'm telling you all of this for a reason because it's going to, affects where I'm, where I'm going with the show. YouTube reviewed the video and then originally concluded nothing that Steven Crowder said violated our terms of service or our community standard. That's what YouTube said initially. And, I mean, it was hailed as a video. Steven Crowder is known for taking on these social media companies because one of his mainstays, people have different varying views on this, um, Steven Crowder feels like uh, conservatives should not be forced to retreat from these various platforms. We should fight to stay on them. Some other people feel like you need, you need to leave to uh, build your own platforms. And Steven Crowder's view is because uh, he doesn't want to be speaking, preaching to the choir, so to speak. He wants his content available to the masses so that people who do not share his worldview, that they may be impacted by the content and have a change of heart. All right. I kind of tend to be more in that camp. It doesn't prohibit us from having additional platforms, but I'm not one to retreat from the culture. That's why I do this program. All right, but putting that on the side, well, predictably, the gay walk had a hissy fit. I mean, he went berserk, Twitch stream, the whole nine yards. I mean, it was a big deal saying that, you know, YouTube doesn't care. His words are hurting me, like words are hurting me and all of this kind of stuff. Um. So then YouTube sent a clarification. They said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, even though Steven Crowder's videos do not violate our community standards, we are going to demonetize his videos. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, even though that we've concluded that Crowder's content does not violate our community standards, uh, we, still, we still feel like uh, we are going to demonetize the videos. We're not going to kick him off the platform so he can still post his YouTube videos, but now he can't make money from it. And so Steven Crowder is taking this fight. They have legal battles going on with it. Uh, the gay wonk was still not satisfied. I mean, he, he was uh, very upset that they didn't kick him off the, off the platform completely, which brings me to this conversation where I want to go now. Because just this week, Google CEO, remember I told you, Google CEO, 
I mean, Google owns YouTube. Google CEO Sundar Pichai doubled down on the notion that, eh, well, even though we have these standards in our community, standards for hate speech and the stuff that we don't accept, even though some content might not be violative of our standards, eh, we still want to take it off anyway. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I'm going to play for you Sundar Pichai speaking in his own words, saying exactly that. So listen to Mr. Pichai, and he's making this uh, statement in an interview with Axios' chief technology correspondent. Uh, listen to Sundar Pichai admitting that YouTube practices censorship. Play clip number one, please. None of us want harmful content on our platforms. I think last quarter alone, we removed 9 million videos from the platform. More recently, we have introduced, you know, just like today, we do this in search. We, you know, we rank content based on quality. And so we're bringing that same notion and approach to YouTube so that we can rank higher quality stuff better and really prevent borderline content, content which doesn't exactly violate policies which need to be removed, but which can still cause harm. And so we are working hard. It's a hard computer science problem. It's also a hard societal problem because we need better frameworks around what is hate speech, what's not, and how do we as a company make those decisions at scale and get it right. Now, all of my inter intellectual property practitioners in the legal profession, I want you to save that clip because that would be Abe's exhibit number one in a trial that I'm going to tell you about that needs to come up. But before I get to, to the to litigation, notice he said, quote, YouTube so that we can rank higher quality stuff better and dun, 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 really prevent borderline content. Content which doesn't exactly violate policies, but they still need to be removed. Why? Because they can still cause harm. He goes on to say, so we're working hard. It's a hard computer science problem. It's also a hard societal problem because we need better frameworks on what is safe speech. Safe speech? So it doesn't matter if it doesn't violate your community standards. If you don't like it, you're going to remove it. So you have Google CEO admitting in a public forum that they practice censorship. <laughs> do, do we need to litigate anything? Now, why is this significant? Well, I'll tell you. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act immunizes online platforms. That means it, 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 it protects them from, from being able to be sued. It immunizes online platforms for their users' defamatory, fraudulent, or otherwise unlawful content. Let me pause and explain this. So when the Facebook phenomenon kicked off, the social media phenomenon kicked off, the big tech phenomenon kicked off, they originally appealed to Congress to say, hey, 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 we are not a media publishing company. We are just a platform. A platform is one where we just simply build the framework for individual users to come to publish their own content. Notice the wording I'm using there. Individual people, they can use our platform to say whatever they want to say. Because I'm we're just offering a platform, you, Congress, should help us not to be sued for what somebody may say using our platform. All right? 
That's like Jeff saying, man, look, I built the stool for Abe to stand on, but just because I built the stool, I can't be responsible for whatever Abe says. Okay? That is what the social media tech titans did originally. So Congress said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because you guys aren't making the content. You are not editing what's being shared. You just built the platform for it to be shared. As a result, we'll give you that immunity. So the tech titans and the social media companies to date have completely enjoyed pretty much inoculation against litigation. They cannot be sued for what's shared on their, on their platform. The moment, however, that these platforms begin to edit the content that's pushed on their platform, i.e. de-boosting conservative sites, i.e. prohibiting Christians from saying what they want to say, i.e. removing content that happens to be, oh, I don't know, pro-life. Removing content, YouTube is removing historical videos on the Nazi Germany. Folks, you have moved from being a platform into being a publisher. Now, I've heard uh, some people saying that we need to do something. There needs to be antitrust lawsuits and even some of those things are pending now. But I'll tell you, as a small government capitalist, I'm not in favor of necessarily pursuing the antitrust route or even pursuing uh, the regulation route. However, I do support the accurate reclassification of all of these huge humongous tech group, tech companies from platforms to publishers. Because when you do what Sundar Pichai just said, we just removed 9 million videos, even though we have standards for community guidelines that we use to, to, to remove, remove content. Even if stuff doesn't really violate our standards, there's some things we're still going to take down. Sundar, that makes you a publisher. That makes you a publisher. And I believe Ted Cruz has, has a legislation to make that adjustment. The moment that these platforms can be held legally culpable for the content that they publish, and the publication does not require them to write their own articles and put them on the website, but only all that it requires is for them to edit the content that's presented. You have 100 people that are putting content on your platform. You're saying, nah, these 35, because of what they're saying, we don't want them on that platform. So then you are shaping the content that is communicated on your platform, and that makes you a publisher. The moment that these tech companies are held responsible for what is published on their platform, you know what's going to happen? The, one or two things are going to happen. They're going to say, oh, wait a minute, we don't want to be sued for all of this stuff. So they would have to stop censoring Christian and conservative content. Or on the flip side, they would finally have to admit what we all know in practice, that they are publishers and they're seeking to advocate for one social view. And views that they disagree with, they will not allow to be shared on their platform. Either way, it's a win because it will force the size of these companies to be reduced. Because if they can no longer fancy themselves or present themselves as neutral up as a neutral platform for all divergent social political views that is immediately going to cost the number the number cause the number of users to decrease and it's also going to cause the number of willing shareholders to invest to decrease on the flip side if they're open to all types of lawsuits the value of their shares is going to decrease and it's going to cause some skittish shareholders to say i don't know if i want to put this money into these tech companies either way i feel like that is the way to go because it's obvious now. There's evidence everywhere. In spite of Sundar Pichai even testifying before Congress that they don't edit content, we know they edit content, and he just admitted on the record in an interview that they edit content. That makes you a publisher, Pichai. That makes you a publisher. And I think we need to push to make that happen. I have more I want to tell you about this because it's not just 
Google. Y'all know it. It's not just Facebook. But I'm going to go into a little bit, thanks to our to James O'Keefe. Pinterest is getting in on the game. You don't want to miss this because Pinterest likes to te te treat the word Christian and Bible verses as if it's pornographic. So you sit down and do your budget and you look at all your monthly costs and your bills and your income and it seems like there's never quite enough. You know what would really help. Finding $500 a month to help balance things out. That is the typical savings. $500 a month for a family when you switch to MediShare for your health care. And when it comes to healthcare sharing ministries, MediShare is really the gold standard. It's been around for 25 years and has more than 400,000 members. It's been around so long and grown so much because it works. And whether you're single or married or have kids, this could make sitting down to do a monthly budget a lot more fun. $500 a month can more than cover a car payment or payback loans, whatever. So join MediShare and go out to dinner to celebrate. Here's the number to call. They are incredibly kind and helpful to talk to. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Christians and alcohol. This is David Wheaton, host of The Christian Worldview. Christian moms drinking wine as their kids play, church events advertising beer and wine tastings, and Bible studies with brew, and an overall greater focus on alcohol at Christian gatherings. Once upon a time, most evangelical Christians steered clear of alcohol. Today, it has become mainstream. The Bible says, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, at the last, it bites like a serpent. It is wise to avoid alcohol, especially considering the negative impact it can have on those around you. Hear more about Christians and alcohol at thechristianworldview.org. This Father's Day weekend, my parents will join us to talk about leaving a spiritual legacy. Listen to The Christian Worldview with David Wheaton, Saturday mornings at 8 Central on American Family Radio. Fox News Commentary with Todd Starnes. A battle over George Washington. That story next. Back in the 1930s, a leftist painter by the name of Victor Arentoff painted a beautiful mural at George Washington High School in San Francisco. Among the images was George Washington pointing westward over the body of a Native American. Another depicts Washington's slaves working in a field. The mural was funded through President Roosevelt's Works Progress Administration, an agency created to put Americans back to work during the Great Depression. But now the historic murals are under attack, pitting liberal against liberal in the the Bay Area. Critics say the images are racially offensive and only present one side of American history, and they want the murals removed. The school board is debating what to do, 13 murals in all depicting the life of our first president. The question at hand, will a mob of social justice warriors do what the British Redcoats could not? I'm Todd Starnes. That's your Fox News commentary. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the Mer to, to the American <laughs> to the Hamilton Corner. Man, this is one of those days I can use two hours. I'm just getting warmed up. Let me hurry up, try to get some more of this content out. So in addition to Sundar Pichai, Pichai's admission. You then have YouTube CEO. <laughs> I mean, these people. Goodness gracious. YouTube CEO uh, admits 
that she was personally involved, personally involved in the decision to demonetize Steven Crowder's YouTube video. She said this, speaking at a conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, for Techies, the Recode Conference. She admitted, yeah, I was, I was involved in personally making the decision to demonetize Steven Crowder's videos. But she also admitted, check this out, quote, I did not watch all of his videos, however. But I was involved in the decision to demonetize his videos. So you're admitting that you didn't even look at everything that the gay walk presented for you to consider whether or not it's impermissible hate speech. Which, you know, hate speech. I mean, come on, man. Uh, but I, I've talked about that before. Uh, who decides what's hateful? People who don't like what you say. You know, and that, and that is fundamentally anti-American. The touchstone of the embrace of the freedom of speech in America is the willingness to defend people to say things you don't agree with. That's the definition of it. But when you adopt monikers like hate speech, you are saying, uh, pff, anti-American here. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So this woman, yeah, we took his video, we demonetized his video, even I didn't even watch them all. I just, I mean, Stephen Crowder, I, mean, I don't like to do conservative. Yeah, get him out of here. Crazy. Crazy. And part, of, in addition to what I've already said, part of the reason why uh, I'm just telling you straight up that I think um, regulate, regulating these tech companies is a bad idea because you want to know who's begging for these tech companies to be regulated? The tech companies themselves! Google. I like to call them Google. Google and, and the Tweety Birds and Facebook and all of them, they are begging Congress to regulate them. You want to know, you want to know why? Because they are writing the regulations. And so what they are seeking to do is to enjoy their status as a platform while continuously crushing views that, uh, that are antithetical to what they want to be shared in the public sphere, but enjoy the protection of the government that will insulate them from any type of uh, lawsuits. And so if they write the regulations, oh, yes, you know, you remember Burr Rabbit? Please don't throw me in the bar patch. Oh, no, don't throw me in the bride patch. If you're not familiar with that story, I heard that story as a child. You know, they wanted to get the little rabbit. Throw, he wanted it. He's like, man, th the worst thing you could do to me is throw me in that bar patch. Not, not knowing Burr Rabbit thrives in the briar patch. That's what, the, that's what the tech titans are doing. Oh, yes. Yes, Senator, we need the thorough, robust regulations, you know. And at the same time, they're asking for regulations. Check this out. Jeff Reed hit me with this atom bomb earlier. You want to know? For the second year in a row, sound like I'm rapping. I might as well put it together. Who was the biggest company in Washington, D.C. spreading that dough? Google. For the last two years, the entity that has spent the most money on Capitol Hill on lobbyists has been Google. At the same time, they're begging for regulations. They're spending more money than anybody else, spending more money than uh, Boeing, you know, the people who make the planes spending more money than AT&T, which just, by the way, purchased CNN and Turner Entertainment, TNT, and all of that. AT&T has bought all of that. Yeah. But Google has spent more money than all of them for the second year in a row on lobbyists. So let me put this together for you. Some of the largest companies in the world begging to be regulated by the government, spending more money on government than anybody else. Do you think that there's... Uh, Developing regulations that will make it harder for them to do what they're doing currently? If you do, I got an igloo I like to sell you.
I got fresh plane tickets to Zamunda. They're begging for the regulations because they're writing the regulations. And they're writing the regulations, the proposed regulations at this point, because it will enable them to continue to do what they're doing while shaping the American culture because they are platforms that they previously referred to as platforms. But what I'm telling you, their publishing entities have now become the modern-day public square. And so they are seeking to shape the American conscience and to shape the thought of the American populace by crushing dissenting views and bolstering the views that they agree with, which just so happen to be always one-way regressive. And though Amazon and Facebook were not the top spenders on lobbying in Capitol Hill, they were still in the top 20. They want the regulations so they, because they're writing the regulations, and they want to have the ability to ensconce themselves into the American social political uh, discourse without any fear of retribution from American citizenry so that they can do exactly what Sundar Pichai said, get rid of videos that they don't, don't, that they don't like. And if you notice, he described it in a way almost as if it's helping you. Uh, oh, yeah, we want to get rid of. I almost imitated his accent. Some people might get mad, but I'm not going to do it. Because I can do that accent pretty good, but I'll hold off on that one. He said, content which doesn't exactly violate our policies, but still what need to be, which needs to be removed because they can still cause harm, as if they're helping you in true socialistic fashion, you know? Bread lines, they're good for you. you. You need to not be able to purchase toilet paper. It's better for you. Equality from each according to their ability to each according to his needs. Helps everybody to ration food. <laughs> Man, craziness. Well, not to be outdone, I refer to Pinterest because they're in on it too. Thanks to James O'Keefe. Uh, he did an undercover, and actually it didn't result, as him, result from him doing an undercover investigation. Uh, there was a whistleblower inside of Pinterest who came to him saying that um, there's some things you probably need to know that are happening within Pinterest. Listen to this in clip number two. What is that document? That's our sensitive terms list, the STO. It contains terms that employees have to manually enter. They're not created by machines or anything. And it contains offensive terms, porn terms, anything that we don't want to show up on search or home feed or in people's recommendations. Was there anything in that sensitive terms list that didn't seem like it belonged there? There are a lot of terms about Christians, Bible verses, that really don't seem like offensive terms to most people. Now you heard that, that was the whistleblower who uh, spoke with James O'Keefe on the condition of anonymity, didn't want his name facing all of that to be put out. Uh, so you have the little voice concealer over his voice. You can get, find that video for yourself on uh, the projectveritas.com website. Um, but he described it, that Pinterest. Now there have been times, some of you may be like me, I've seen my wife and the end of the night, what are you doing baby? I'm just scrolling through Pinterest, you know? Uh, well, Pinterest has decided to create a, a sensitive terms list which prohibits, prohibits uh, certain things from being pinned that would contain that verbiage. You know, things like Christian and Bible verses, and things of that nature. You go a little further, uh, they, they also have a mechanism where they're blacklisting certain websites. One of the ones that were blacklisted was live action. And they not only blacklisted it, they placed it amongst a, a, a list of banned sites. There are pornographic websites, and they included live action. And a particular person did it. 
a woman by the name, I wrote her name down, Megan McClellan. <laughs> she was Pinterest, she is Pinterest's law enforcement and governmental operations program manager. These people are manually doing these things. Manually. You cannot call yourself a platform if you are manually saying, ah, certain ideas, certain views, certain opinions, we are not going to allow. That the ideas and opinions that we don't agree with. Not that they are illegal that we don't agree with. Listen to this clip, this audio in clip number three. Go ahead and play it, Jay. Another document Project Veritas obtained gives us some insight into Pinterest's potential political mindset. Pinterest's hate speech training manual says they, quote, hide content diminishing the beliefs, institutions, and movements held sacred by others, unquote. One of these institutions appears to be Planned Parenthood. Hmm. So at the same time, they're putting Christian terms on a sensitive terms list. <laughs> One of the views they hold sacred is an organization that does nothing but, you know, just kills millions of babies. I know. Man, I wish you could see Jason's face, man. He's like, I can't believe this is happening. Folks, this is happening now. Oh, and by the way, in case you didn't know, uh, no, I know you didn't know. Well, I don't know if you didn't know. I haven't said it yet. Let me say that. The whistleblower at Pinterest was fired. Pinterest did a deep dive to find out who they were, identified them, and terminated them from the company. So I'm telling you, I support the movement to have these companies identified as publishers because that is what they are. When you are making editing decisions, as to what content appears on your website, you are responsible for defamatory, libelous, slanderous content. You are legally responsible for the results of the content that you publish. Congress needs to strip these people from their immunizations as platforms and to identify them, classify them properly as publishers because that is what they are. And even publishers, for example, like uh, the New York Times and other companies, publishers even enjoy some modicum of protection, but it's not a sacrosanct immunization. The, the identification as a platform gives an almost sacrosanct immunization from being held responsible for the content you publish. The, 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 the responsibility that publishers are held to are the reasons why, here's a perfect example, the reason why Nick Sandman, the, the young man from Covington High School, who was literally lied on by all of these mainstream Talking Snake media outlets because they are publishers. That is why he was able to sue them for $200 million. That make it plain and simple enough? Because they are publishers, Nick Sandman was able to have recourse. But if the New York Times and the Washington Post had the immunization as a platform, like these tech titans, guess what they would have said to Nick Sandman? Nick kick rocks is what they would have said. Time has come, man, for that to change. And I feel like that is the most effective strategy to be able to address this craziness that's going on from <laughs> these degenerates in Silicon Valley. And some of you say, hey, why are you calling them de degenerates? You have to probably go back into the archives. I, I went into a, a show talking about how the, the conduct that they engage in, how they view themselves as gods and things of that nature, where they literally are, many of them, not everybody because I don't know them all, but literally many of them are degenerates. Now I'm going to turn away from that for a second and share something else because I, I felt like this was connected. 
Um, because Bill Maher, who I absolutely do not agree with probably 98.9% of the time, but the one thing I will give Bill Maher credit for is that he honestly says what he thinks, and that honesty allows him to, to critique his fellow regressives, because make no mistake about it, Bill Maher is re regressive. He is probably one of the captains of the regressive ship. But he is willing to honestly critique his fellow regressives. And so he had an interview recently with, uh, I always forget whether he's Mario, Chris, Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo at CNN. Horrible show, terrible ratings. <laughs> uh, that, he, that, that He said something that I found to be very interesting and worth discussing briefly in the few moments we have remaining on the program. In the conversation, Bill Maher recognized that political correctness is not only bad for America, it's bad for progressives. And that political correctness, that progressives, he called them progressives. Y'all know I call them regressives because you know, they're not moving anything pro. They're moving in, in reverse. But he described that his fellow progressives are shooting themselves in the foot by embracing uh, a political correct position in culture because most liberals, he said, do not like politi political correctness. Listen to this audio in clip number four. I think a lot of this um, far-left political correctness is a cancer on progressivism. I think when you, when you talk to, to Trump supporters, they are not blind to his myriad flaws. But one thing they always say is he's not politically correct. I don't think you can uh, underestimate, overestimate how much people have been choking on political correctness and hate it. The vast majority of liberals in this country hate it. They, they think political correctness has gone way too far. No one likes to be living on eggshells. Now, this is going to be one of those 1.1 percentage points where I agree with Bill Maher. Nobody likes to be living on eggshells. Now, I don't know if the majority of progressives uh, think political correctness is going way too far. I don't know that. But I can tell you, I know <laughs> the majority of the American people hate political correctness. It's insane. And so I want, to, want you to put all of this together because Bill Maher in this, in this instance, I believe, is speaking more of the mindset of the regular American person. But you heard Sundar Pichai and the Google, uh, I mean, sorry, and the YouTube CEO and Pinterest and Facebook and all of the, the uh, regressive overlords, they don't even care what you think. Who cares if you think political correctness is wrong? You're gonna take some of this political correctness and you're gonna love it. It kinda lets you know why I continuously try to remind people, whenever you talk about Nazi Germany, don't ever forget, don't you ever, 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 ever forget that we're talking about the National Socialist Workers' Party of Germany because socialist, communist ideation, they don't care what the plebeians and the proletariat want. They're going to give them what's best for them, and they're going to learn to love it. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.